Our passage this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 40. Yes, you heard that correctly. Verses 1 through 40. Um, the words will be on the screen, or please follow along in your Bibles. But what a rich passage we get to hear this morning. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God, the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care. And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. So, and you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heat of heaven, to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded to you to perform. That is, the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at the time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Therefore... Watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you 
and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, for I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but will be utterly destroyed and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of a fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself out of the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence and by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, 
you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I said last week that these scriptures are written, that we might have hope. Uh, You need to have hope. This is your year to get through the book of Deuteronomy in your reading plan. We want to strongly encourage you to read it along with us, and we're even kind of formulating even the ways that we preach these sermons so that you can read them throughout the week and then uh, rehear them this morning or on every Sunday morning. Uh, There is something that is just radically distinct about God that is taken for granted probably by most of us in here today. This is a God who speaks. And we have his words collected and put in front of us in the Bible. This makes him utterly distinct. There's idols. They they have mouths, but they have no words. And the God of the scripture, he speaks. And it's this overwhelming thought, if you take a second to just dwell on it. It says so much about who God is, just the fact that he speaks at all. This is the one who needs nothing. He wasn't sitting in eternity past thinking, I've got to say something. But he's a God who speaks after he creates. And his word is an invitation for all of creation to know the one that created them. To live in right relationship with him because he gives us not just who he is, but what he wants and desires on this earth. His words are meant to instruct and correct and change and mold us and shape us that we might live in right relationship with him. And so his words, his speech, his voice that goes out is meant to invite us to know him and to live in relationship with him. And so the scriptures and the saints see this often in the Psalms. They extol the glory of the voice of the Lord and they scoff at the muteness of idols. That this God speaks sets him apart. There is no God like this God. He is unparalleled. And Deuteronomy, the book, and especially Deuteronomy chapter 4, demands that God's people live before this unparalleled God, living before this unparalleled God, take his words seriously. That every man under heaven is going to be held accountable to this God who created him and spoke. And because this is an unparalleled God who speaks, there are a couple things that we need to know. We need to be warned and hear his word and be encouraged and hear his word. And this is the two threads that that Moses kind of weaves through Deuteronomy chapter 4, that we are to be warned, that God's people are to be warned and hear his word and to be encouraged and hear his word. Chapter 4 proves to be this this kind of overture of all of the book of Deuteronomy. There's two threads going through it, and there are two threads that go through the book of Deuteronomy altogether. There's warnings and blessings. 
curses and life. Or we could say again that we need to receive to be warned and to be encouraged. Again, Israel, fresh off of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, have come to the edge, the doorstep of the promised land, and Moses is preaching this sermon, and this sermon that he preaches is full of warnings. Look in verse 1 and 2. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that I, the Lord, or that the Lord, your, the God of your fathers, is giving to you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Again, the God of the Scripture is a God who speaks. He, he doesn't just create. He does create, and His creation does reveal something about Him. His invisible attributes, His divine nature are seen in the things that He's created. But He is the one who creates and interprets he acts and then interprets his acts that, again, that we might know him. He reveals himself to creation, which in and of itself is a divine mercy. And this sets him apart. And this means that if, if this God, who is the creator God, if he is the one who made all things and he speaks, then there is no greater thing for his image bearers to attain to than to hear his voice. And this is the word you see throughout Deuteronomy and especially in Deuteronomy 4. Listen, hear. It's a key word that's going to recur at pivotal moments throughout the book of Deuteronomy. It's a key word for Israel as they sit on the edge of the promised land and Moses is telling them that this is a key word as you enter into the promised land. Now when we see this word listen and hear, we, we don't need to think of just physical hearing as if he just is talking about them letting it hit their ears. When he says hear, when he says listen, he's implying within that obedience, heeding those words, doing what they say. And so Moses starts by encouraging and warning them to listen to, what does he say? The statutes and the rules that I'm giving you. That that couple words, statutes and rules, he's going to use a couple different times. Verse 5, he uses it. Verse 8, verse 14, verse 44, verse 45. And these uses of statutes and rules throughout this chapter show that, that what he's doing when he's talking about these statutes and rules is it, he's looking back to Horeb at Mount Sinai where they received the law from God, but there's more than that. It also refers to what Moses is giving him in the book of Deuteronomy. In other words, Moses is applying the law that they heard in Horeb to a new generation in a different context now. They're not at Sinai anymore. They're on the doorstep of the promised land. And they are to listen to his words that he's giving in an explanation of those words right now as they were to listen then. Same sense of urgency of hearing the voice. It's a different time, a different place, a different generation, but the same need to listen. And he gives the biggest motivation for them to listen here in these first two verses. What does he give them? That you might live. Here's the motivation, life. Here are the words that you might have life, that you may live and not just live, live in this promised land that he says over and over is a good land. In other words, God is expressing his desires that they not only have life, that's what he wants for them, but that they have life in the land that he promised them. He wants them to enjoy life and life in the promised land. And the God-givenness 
of the promised land and the certainty of it, it is promised to them, they are going to inherit it, is to further spur on their wholehearted listening, hearing, obeying of the voice of the Lord. They have the promise of the land, and they are to respond to that promise, to that certainty, to that inheritance by listening, by hearing, and also to listen because of the warnings that they've already seen. He, he takes them back a little bit. Verse 3, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. You look back at Numbers and you see this. This is no minor incident. Numbers chapter 25, a few pages back. This is a lower point in Israel's history. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Not a great start. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and they bowed down to their gods. And so Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. You can imagine what's going on here, right? And while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting, so the juxtaposition of what this person is doing with the Midianite woman and the people at the temple. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and he left the congregation. He took a spear in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague of the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And there's not enough time to, to talk through all of that episode. There's plenty of material in Deuteronomy 4, but what a low point in Israel's history. And that low point, Moses brings up again to warn them. It's an illustration, he says. This is, this is what not listening does. 24,000? Half of Enid just wiped out in a second. That's quite the warning. This is why Moses can say, and they're not going to push back when he says in verse 24, that this God is a jealous God, a consuming fire. But this illustration also shows the flip side, because not all Israel was consumed that day. Verse 4 of chapter 4. But you held fast to the Lord your God, all are all alive today. So what's the warning meant to produce? Hold fast and live. It's quite the motivation he gives here. Baal of Peor is a significant warning and it's meant to produce the holding fast to God, which clearly in the context of Deuteronomy 4 is done by listening to him, by hearing his voice. Now, perhaps the idea, again, of God as a consuming fire would have been so readily available on their minds, because perhaps some of them would have heard or even maybe been present at Sinai, which would have been a vivid event. Moses recalls this event in verse 9. He says, take care, keep your soul diligently, 
Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near, and you stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess." He recalls for them this this vivid sight, and what a sight it would have been. Fire and cloud and smoke to the heavens. Earthquake and trembling were there. What a sight. But notice that it wasn't the sight of the mountain that was the most incredible thing that day. It was the sound. Verse 12, the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. One commentator says that Sinai was a cosmic audio-visual experience, but it was the audio that mattered. It was the audio that matters, for God has spoken. And the audio on that day was the voice of the Lord thundering from the heavens. And guess what? He's thundering in this terrifying sight with fire and smoke. He's not thundering down with his voice, doom for all of Israel. He's thundering down covenant, which is, yes, there's, there's legal demands of covenants. There's, there's stipulations, but it's loving. It's relational. It's God saying, this is how you live with me. And it thundered. The voice of God, the one who is a consuming fire and a jealous God, thundered. But this is the God who is also, according to verse 31, merciful. And so it thunders down in covenant, not in doom. And it thundered down, not just to be heard, not just to be recorded, but to be listened to, to be heard rightly, kept, done, obeyed, practiced by generations. And that's why Moses warns them. He looks back and he says, well, we have Sinai and we have also Baal of Peor. And it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag of what's going on here. And both of them show that you need to hear this voice. But Moses also looks forward. He looks to the promised land. And as he looks forward to the promised land, the land they will inherit, he doesn't back off on his warnings. Verse 15 and following, he, he kind of looks forward to the promised land and he gives them the Here's what you need to do. And look what it's full of. Verse 15, watch yourselves carefully. Verse 16 and 19, both say beware. And then he spells out all sorts of ways that they're going to be tempted to go wrong. In other words, he's saying beware this, 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 and this. The statutes and the rules are taught to be done. And where are they to be done? In the promised land. So in other words, the promised land is certain, but it doesn't put Moses at ease. And he's he's telling them, like, just because the land is certain that you're going to go into it, that shouldn't put you at ease. Because once you get into the land, it's not as if obedience is somehow going to get easier. Temptation will lurk there. And their means of protection, of fighting against the sin 
that is so readily in their lives is found in verse 15, verse 16, verse 19. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Beware, beware. It's to heed the warning. It's by listening to what God has spoken, hearing the voice of the Lord. And Moses himself knows the weight of failing to watch himself carefully. He, as he leads them to the promised land and preaches the sermon to them, is a walking illustration, a living illustration of what this shouldn't be. And perhaps he says, verse 21 and 22, uh, with a, a, a tone or note of bitterness in his voice. Because you remember last week, he asked the Lord, can I go in? And God says, don't ever bring this up again. No. So he doesn't bring it up again to the Lord. So maybe he's a little bitter when he says this. Or maybe he's just full of longing and disappointment in his own life. But he says, furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you. Again, he puts it on them. That's the second time he does that. Recorded for us all to read that he doesn't take the blame himself. Again, there's more to that than just him blaming them. He says, the Lord would not let me cross the Jordan because of you, and I shouldn't enter the, go- the good land that the Lord is giving to you for an inheritance, for I must die in this land. I must not go over to the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Even, even the way he describes the land seems like, man, like he's this longing there, maybe some bitterness there that he doesn't get to go over. But Moses himself is a, a living illustration. Here's the one who was a chosen instrument by God, chosen to draw the people of Israel out of Egypt and to lead them forward. Here is a man who was the meekest man on the earth, that there's no prophet like him. In a sense, in Israel's history, he is un paralleled and yet Moses failed he didn't listen he didn't watch himself carefully enough and he led a people that didn't less didn't listen and so Moses is kept from the promised land he's experiencing the judgment of God and being barred and banned from the promised land and with his own story he puts it up in front of him and warns them with it as if to say if, if God would do this to me, the one that he speaks to face to face, because I didn't listen and lead a people that won't listen, then certainly he will do this to you. What will happen to you if you don't listen? This adds force to, to the verses 23 and 24. When he says, take care then, after putting his own life and example out in front of them, as they see him as one who wants to go into the good land but will not be allowed to, he says, then take care. What force he would have said this with, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Maybe you remember the story found in Leviticus 10 of Nadab and Abihu who offered before the Lord unauthorized fire. And what happened? Leviticus 10 2, fire came out from the fore of the Lord and consumed them. Or maybe in chapter or Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, the people were complaining against the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed 
some of them. Or maybe you've heard of Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16, where fire comes out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering, trying to prove themselves greater than Moses and his company, consumed them. The people that Moses speaks to, that he's preaching to in Deuteronomy 4, they had heard of those stories, I guarantee it. They knew of this God as a consuming fire. And hopefully Moses is saying, this is who God is. Listen to his words. Because God is a consuming fire. He is a God who acts in judgment against his disobedient people who won't hear, who won't listen to him. He's a jealous God who demands loyalty, wholehearted faithfulness to himself. But again, this is the God who speaks. So as as he's a consuming fire, he's not just uncontrolled and out there just bursting forth every which way. This is a God who makes what he wants known. His desires are not unheard of before them. They know what he desires. They've heard his law. Moses is even giving it to them again, explaining it to them again. They know what God wants. He has given them the word. Now perhaps this is some of the breakdown for God's people today. That God still speaks in his word, yes, but too often are we not too busy or too bored with his word, or too lazy, or too whatever, to listen to it, to hear it. And we walk in sin because we're not hearing. We're not heeding the voice of God. Now, most in our culture today, and likely most of you, put a high value on listening to great things. We'll pay good money to go to a concert of our favorite band where we can hear that sound. We will pay subscriptions monthly to be able to listen to the sounds that we want to listen to each and every day. We we pay money so that we can have the right things on TV so that we can hear speeches and hear voices. I mean, we could go on and on. We, we value the listening to great things. And Moses is saying in Deuteronomy, God has spoken. And if God has spoken, is there any higher aspiration in all of the world than to hear this God? And again, when we say hear, we're not just saying we physically are hearing the, the noises and the sounds. That we're heeding that voice. We're doing, we're keeping, we're, we're obeying. There's no higher aspiration. God himself has spoken. God. God has spoken. This is mercy unspeakable for us. Like we can't capture it, the, the reality of the, the greatness that God himself, the creator of all of us and all of the universe, has spoken. And we can hear him. We can listen to him. Like we, we have his word. We can hear God in his word. And yet we too often rather watch a game. Or work. Or fill our time with other voices. And Psalm 29, I think would probably, probably seems like an odd and distant psalm. Listen to what it says. That the voice of the Lord is over the waters. It's presenting the voice of the Lord almost as like a storm sweeping 
The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips forests bare. And all in his temple all cry, glory. And it seems so distant and odd for the psalmist to talk like this when we treat the word like we often do. Over and over again, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, and glory. This is a voice that can be heard in the word. This is not this collection of words in this book in front of us. It's not just a book to collect dust. This is God who has spoken. And we're here listening to his voice, and that's massive. May the day never come when the voice of the Lord isn't heard each and every week from right here. And that the word isn't opened in front of each of us in some capacity. That we might see it and hear the voice of God himself who has spoken. We're hearing through the, the teaching and preaching and reading of God's word. But what happens when you're not here? Let me ask simply, do you have a copy of God's word? If not, we want to give you one. Make sure you find us, we'll get you one. But if you do, are you giving yourself to the highest privilege on planet earth of hearing from God? Make a plan for it. Grab a friend. Get into it. Read it. Let it warn you. Let it show you this God. Let it instruct you, correct you, train you, teach you. Let it reveal the glory of God to you. Hear it. Obey it. Listen to it. And do what it says. You're accountable to this voice. This is the voice of your creator God. And that God is a jealous God and a consuming fire and who reveals himself as such. He's not hiding this at all. He reveals himself as such. Show us that when we hear this voice, that there's a response that's necessary. His word to Israel and to us is both propositional and personal. In other words, it gives instructions and commands, things to do and to say and to not do. And it relates to us. It shows us who he is and it tells us how to live. It's personal. In other words, God speaks and his voice is not just for information or intellectual stimulation or just for our consideration. This is the voice to be heard. And how Israel and how we should respond to the voice of the Lord to the God who speaks is indisputable. You cannot get around it. This is God's voice, so it is to be heard. In other words, it is to be obeyed, submitted to. We are to listen to it and do what it says. Israel is to hear the warnings, and they're not to hear the warning only, and they're not to hear the warning and do nothing different. They're to hear the warning and heed the warning and give loyalty wholly to this God, the one who speaks. And so are we. And Moses warns here because he knows that obedience will never be easy. That the land that they're going into is the promised land, but it's not a place where their obedience is all, all of a sudden become natural to them. 
They're born sinful. They have sinful inclinations. Their obedience is not going to be more natural there in the promised land. It's going to be difficult. And Christian, we need to know this. Like, If you thought becoming a Christian was going to somehow then make obedience to God and wholeheartedly following after God somehow easy, then I think you're off. It's never going to be easy to give our wholehearted loyalty to God. If anything, once we know God rightly, it opens our eyes ever more to how difficult it is to wholeheartedly obey God. I was struck by this. I love to read and hear um, Tim Keller. He was a pastor in New York for many years. And he's, he currently has, and is six or so months in, to uh, battling cancer. He has pancreatic cancer. And I listened to an interview uh, of his, and, and they said, well, how can we pray for you in your battle against cancer? And it's, I was struck how he responded. He said, actually, I, I know what people mean when they say that, but my battle isn't against cancer. My battle is against sin in my cancer. He, he said, if it wasn't for my sin, I would be completely resting in Christ. And that the thing I need to do now is fight my sin. He's 70 years old, pastor, author, and here he's saying, here's what I need to do now in my pancreatic cancer is fight my sin. So if you're going to pray for me, pray for me to fight my sin because death is coming for me either way and what I need to prepare is not to battle the cancer but to battle the sin that's still within me. And eternal life is sure for those in Christ, right? We, First John, there's all sorts of assurance that we know, that we can know that we have life in the name of Christ. There's all sorts of assurance here for Israel that they're going to get this promised land. It's their inheritance. God is giving it to them. But he doesn't then say, well, it's time to coast, that obedience is now going to be easy. No, the fight is still ongoing. The battle is ongoing. And we're like Israel. We need to hear the warning too because we're forgetful. We're prone to wonder. We're stubborn. We're not going to have obedience come super easy and natural to us. We need to watch carefully. We need to be warned. We need to hear God's word. Man, may we hear it and hear the force of God's voice and be warned by it. But warning is only one thread through Deuteronomy 4. The other thread, the thread you're probably looking forward to now, is a thread of encouragement. And Moses does encourage them. He, he does it with two sets of questions. The, the first set is found in verse 7 and 8. Verse 7, he says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? This is a God who speaks, and he speaks to a specific people. In other words, the, that revelation that he gave to them as his people was unique and makes them, sets them off as unique. In verse 6, just one up from verse 7, it says that they are a unique people there to keep and do the word, and it says that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. In other words, they were set apart. They were unique because of that word that they had received, and they are to show themselves and be a unique people as they keep it, as they do the things that God has given them to do. This is why in verse 7 they're, they're called a great people, because as we're going to see in all of Deuteronomy, that they're not a great people in almost any way. 
Where's their power? Where's their strength? Do they have a great army? Do they have great numbers? Do they have, they have none of that. How are they great? They, they have this God who's given them this word. He spoke to them. They're great because they keep and do the word. And because they are a unique people, because God has set them apart, they are to be encouraged that they are the ones who their God hears them when they call upon him. In other words, Moses is saying, this is your God, and there's some intimacy and nearness and closeness with your God and you as his people. Other nations, they can't boast this. They look back to Exodus and they think about Exodus. They had lots of gods in Egypt, lots of them. Where were their gods as the plagues were sweeping through? They were being shown to be no gods at all by the one God overall. Or you think of Elijah on Mount Carmel. Let's have a showdown. Let's see whose God is the real God, the one who actually can hear and act. God of Baal, my God. You call to your God, I'll call to my God. Let's see what happens. They're calling to their God. And, and Elijah, knowing that there is no other God and that his is the God that speaks and every other God is mute, is saying to them, oh, you're calling on him. Perhaps he's taking a nap. Maybe he's in the bathroom because he doesn't seem to be listening to you when you call him. And what does Moses do? God, for your glory, do this. Fire consumes it. He's near when Elijah calls upon him. And we could go on and on. When Israel cried out to God for deliverance, he sent them Moses to bring them out of Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. The sea is in front of them. The Pharaoh's army is behind them. They're crying out again. What are we going to do? And Moses is going to cry out to God. And he says, hey, just be silent. God's going to deliver you. And he does. They get across the sea. And now they're in the wilderness. It's kind of a scary place. And there's not a lot of resources there. We need water, God. He makes water come out of rocks. We need something to eat. Bread falls from the sky. Actually, we want some meat. Quail comes up out of nowhere. I mean, like, this is the God who hears when they call to him. He's near. Verse 20 says, the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance, his own. They're a unique people. He has called them his own. He's near to them to deliver them. And in the context of Deuteronomy 4, when he says that he's near when you call, he's near in the context of deliverance and, of, and this nearness, the nearness and the deliverance they need is a a deliverance to obey, a nearness so that they can obey. And so when they get into the land and they're tempted to disobey and follow after other idols, God is saying, I'm near. Call out. We can help you. I can help you obey. That's the first set of encouragements from questions. Verse 7 and verse 8 is the second part of that set. What great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all the law that I set before you today? Again, there's uniqueness of Israel here that they received the law. And this law is quality through and through, righteous through and through. There's not, this isn't used to describe anything else in the Old Testament other than people. The, the law is righteous. Now, Paul picks up on this in, in Romans chapter 3. He kind of is asking after he just decimates everybody in Romans 1 and 2 and says, you're all sinful. You're all deserving of condemnation. There's no one righteous, not even one. Well, then they're probably thinking, well, what advantage is the Jews? And, you know, Paul puts that in front of them. What, what advantage is there? What is the value of circumcision? And he says, much in every way. Why? 
To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They received this unique law, this good and righteous law that was meant to help Israel live the good life before God in the promised land. That was a a huge advantage, a major thing, meant to be the light to the nations then and show them how to live. But Paul does what Moses does here, and he points to Israel as this unique people who should be encouraged that they're a unique people, that they uniquely receive this good and righteous law from God. They know how to live before God. They've heard the word. It's in front of them. It's put in front of them repeatedly. And so they should be encouraged. God has spoken to them. And he's near. And church, if you trust in God, you too can take heart and be encouraged. You can be content in any and all situation. You can rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what is going on, because your God is near. You have a father who calls you his beloved child. You have a propitiation, an advocate for your sins, Jesus Christ the righteous. You have an intercessor before the Father, a helper, convictor of your sins, the Holy Spirit. The fullness of God is near, and he's with you always, and he hears you when you call. And God is so good that he always gives us exactly what we need. God even promises to hear when Israel calls after their inevitable downfall, after they give themselves over to idolatry and rebellion. Listen to the words of verse 25. When, your fa- when you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but you will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to you. With all of the warnings that Moses has given to them, with all the times he's pleading with them, encouraging them, exhorting them, here, listen, keep, watch, beware. Israel is going to fail, and they're going to face the judgment of God. But as negative as as these verses are, 25 through 31, the, the flip side, the positive side, is just as positive. Points to a better day. That even in the midst of their failure, and rebellion, and idolatry, they will seek, and they will find. They will return, and they will obey They will in that day not find the Lord missing, though they have left him, he has not left them. So that verse 31 is true. The Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Though they will forget, though they will not keep covenant, God will be merciful. He will be faithful to the covenant that he made with their fathers and he will keep it. He's a faithful, merciful God. This is the kind of God who will run after prodigals after they've run away from him. This is the kind of God who will sit and eat with tax collectors and sinners that no one else wants to touch. 
This is the kind of God who will die for others' sins. Yeah, he's a consuming fire. But he is a merciful God. There is no telling what sin is in this room and how far you have gone in rebellion and on idolatry and away from God. But God is merciful. And we can turn back to him and find him. He is a consuming fire, yes. He is a jealous God who demands that we give him wholehearted devotion. He is one who has spoken to whom all are accountable. But his jealousy shows the intensity of his love. Love that would also save us, deliver us by his own hand. Isn't that what he says to Israel? I'm a consuming fire, obey me. And when you don't come back to me, I'm merciful. I'll deliver you again. As a creator who's spoken and as a redeemer who saves, he calls us to find mercy and forgiveness in him. This is no ordinary God. He is completely unparalleled. And that's where Moses goes in the second set of questions. Verse 32 For ask now of the days that are past which were before you since that day that God created man on earth and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever or is ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? What a question. No people other than Israel has ever heard God out of the fire and lived. But get this. This is great. One author says this, there are not even any other peoples that heard the voice of the Lord speak out of the fire and didn't live to tell about it. That the Lord God spoke uniquely and particularly to Israel, but knowing the speaker, consuming fire, jealous God, understanding who he is, the miracle is that even those he would allow to hear his voice would survive at all. There is, there is no other people that has heard the voice of God and lived, but there is also no other people that has heard the Lord, voice of the Lord and not, and not lived. God is so merciful to them. There is no God like this God. And Moses wants to remind them and put before them over and over again these questions to draw them out, to get them to ponder and think about how unparalleled their God is, that there is no God like this. That's why he continues, verse 34, or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of the, another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. He's not hiding it. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. It's not that there's another God that tried to do these things and failed. It's not that there's another God that did some great things, but not quite as great. It's that no other God had even tried to do what God did. It's that nothing greater has ever happened, but that also nothing like it had ever happened. And it all is pointing to God as being unparalleled. There is no other beside him. He stands alone. And Israel is to see and behold this God. That's what the questions are meant to do. Draw them to behold the greatness of their God and be encouraged. Because how does he reveal himself? How has he shown himself to you? But notice all the way through this, like, Moses is using the Lord God. 
Again, the personal name of God is being used that he revealed uniquely to Moses to give to Israel. He wants them to be encouraged by who he is and by revealing himself. This is what God has done. And so Israel, as they prepare for the promised land, is to be encouraged because not only are they a unique people under God, having heard his voice, but they have a unique God who is unparalleled. And this leads him to conclude, verse 36 and onward, out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you, and on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath and there is no other. And yet it's the Lord God, the one that they have had revealed to them, who spoke to them, who revealed himself and spoke from the fire that they heard and lived. In other words, he's saying this God who is like no other is your God. Be encouraged. Listen to his voice. Hear him. His voice has sounded And this leads to his final therefore, and you can feel it all building up to verse 40. Therefore, what are they to do? You shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. This God is unparalleled, and what does he want for them? He wants to give them life. He sets life before them and life in the promised land. So Israel, again, should, yes, be warned, but be encouraged. He wants to give you life. And because this life in the promised land is guaranteed, it doesn't, again, put you at ease. He says, therefore, keep it. Do this, that it may go well with you. Israel should be encouraged. They should hear God is resounding through the voice of Moses. And this voice that is resounding is a voice that is full of mercy. It's a voice that must be heard. There is no God like this God. He speaks. He he acts. He promises. He delivers. He gives. God has spoken. And we as his people need to be warned and hear his voice. We need to be encouraged and hear his voice. We know that this God who has spoken still speaks today. Because this God who spoke, he didn't only speak through the fire, but he spoke through his son. Remember Hebrews chapter 1, long ago and in many ways he spoke through prophets, but today, now he speaks through this one voice. He speaks through his son. Israel, they heard the voice of the Lord from the fire and they lived. We get to hear the voice of the Lord from the word, God incarnate, and be saved. We can hear the word of Christ and by hearing the word of Christ, be delivered from our sins. And church, that's what we're meant to do. Be the people of the ear to hear his voice, let it warn us, to hear his voice and let it encourage us.
His voice echoes in a way unique for the church. It echoes in something the church is to do together. We call it the Lord's Supper. It's an echoing of the voice of God, where it's remembering, looking back at how the Word said to His disciples, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. I'm making a new covenant, and it's in my blood that you can find forgiveness of sins. That's the covenant now. That it's through Jesus that we not only hear the voice of God, but we're delivered from our sins because he shed his blood that our sins might be forgiven. His body was broken that ours might be made whole, not on this earth, but in eternity and whole forever, raised as he was raised. But he gives us this word of mercy that there's forgiveness in my name, forgiveness in my body and my blood with a command, a warning, do this. We're to hear it. We're to do it in remembrance of what he has done. So church, if this is your God, no ordinary God, if this is the God that you listen to, that you've heard, that you've trusted in fully, then this meal is a meal for you. You need to hear the word, do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread, take the juice, and be reminded of what your Lord has done, that in his name you are delivered from your sins. If you're not a believer... We have to say to you that this God has spoken and that you are accountable to him. He is a consuming fire and a jealous God. He wants your wholehearted worship. And when you don't give it to him, you are sinning against him and deserving of his righteous punishment and judgment. But he's also merciful. He holds out before you the thing that he held out to anyone else, his body and his blood, his very life that you might trust in him and be delivered. Don't take this meal. Instead, take that. Trust in Jesus. And then maybe next time, we'll prepare you and talk to you what it means to take this meal as a believer. But if you're his, hear his voice and take this meal together. Let's pray. God, who is like you? I can hardly wrap my mind around it today. That you are a God who is full of mercy and that you are a consuming fire who has wrath toward our sin. It's hard to understand and it's hard to, to embrace all of this and honestly, I'm afraid today. I'm afraid that we're not listening to you. When the pastor asks us the question, who or what are we listening to? And I know that our ears are filled with noise, nonstop, plucking on our hearts, telling us what we need to care about, and delivering warnings to us as if all of life depends on what happens next, what happens today, what happens in the news. We have to know how are the politicians going to destroy everything and ruin our lives, or how is our sports team going to fall apart and ruin our lives, or whatever it is that is such a burning, driving concern in our souls. It's not as important as what you have to say to us every day. 
we can wake up and open our eyes and set them on your word and hear your voice and be transformed and see your goodness and your deeds and your glory and your holiness and your love and see who you've called us to be. That's how you help us. That's how you keep us on the path. But we keep our Bibles closed or we open them and we let your words go in one ear and out the other and we just go about our day back to the things that everyone else seems to be so concerned about. You're worthy of more than that. And we pray for your forgiveness and we pray that you would give us an intense desire to hear your word and to do what it says. And God, we thank you that we are not saved and forgiven and cleaned, cleansed of all of our sin because of our perfect obedience to your word. And we're not rescued from our sin and hell and death because of our desire to hear you because we would have no chance. Jesus Christ, thank you for showing us on the cross that you are a consuming fire. You hate sin. And God, you poured out all of your wrath on our sin. You showed that you were a consuming fire, but you also showed that you were a God of mercy because it landed on you. It doesn't have to land on us. And we're encouraged by that. That's why we eat bread now and we drink the wine and we remember that you gave yourself for us, Jesus. Thank you. Help us to live lives that are worthy of this good news. Help us to live as if we have truly been set free from the power of sin and hell. Help us to live as if death is not a threat to us at all, because it's not. We can live in newness of life. And Jesus, if there are those here today who don't know you that way and who are afraid of death and who are afraid of Judgment Day because they know they don't belong to you, God, I pray that you would open up their eyes and that they would turn from their sin and that they would put all of their faith, all of their hope for the future in you, Jesus, and what you have done for them, and that you would give them new hearts, and that you would put your Holy Spirit into them, and that they would begin to know you and love you, this consuming fire, this merciful God that you are, Jesus. Thank you for sparing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your patience. Be glorified in your body, Jesus. Amen.